like I said last week, we uh, kind of deviated a little bit uh, uh, from our Galatians series because we we decided to, uh, you know, we've been talking about the law in Galatians, the law, the law, the law, the law. And I really wanted to talk about uh, uh, the good things and not necessarily the, the negative things. So I, I wanted to jump over to the Beatitudes and, and it's the opposite of the law and see what Jesus had to say about this as we get into what Paul is fixing to lead us toward in the rest of the book of Galatians. So uh, we're going to be in Matthew 5 this morning and I'm going to start out in verse 1. It says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who, who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know the Latin word for uh, the Latin word for uh, beatus, or, or however you want to say it, is what is used for for the beatitudes or blessings. And Jesus opens up on the Sermon on the Mount with very eight, uh, you know, eight very different types of blessings. Nothing like this had ever been uh, said before um, and taught before that, that we know of. And he said, in verse 3, he starts out and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And last week we talked about this. And, and it doesn't mean poor as in money poor, but here it is poor in spirit. To be completely bankrupt. Nothing to offer God, yet God is going to make me a spiritual person. And first he shows me how bankrupt I really am. So that I can humble myself before him. Uh, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who recognize that it's more than just poverty. And the more time that I spend with Jesus, the more time I, uh, I start to understand that I don't fit into this world and I don't fit into his kingdom unless he changes me, unless he repairs me and fills me with his spirit. You know, the more we're around Jesus, the more we don't act like, you know, uh, we don't have to act humble. We're automatically humbled. We get to, close to the Lord and we start to, to be like Isaiah, who says, Woe is me, a man of unclean lips. And we're like people like Moses. I can't do what you want me to do, Lord. Or, or we're like Peter, you know, in the boat with Jesus going, You are the Son of God. The more we worship Jesus, the more we spend time with Him. And we're not building our own sense of worth or value. We're building God's sense of worth for us. Therefore, our past doesn't matter. Our abilities don't matter. None of those things matter. It becomes about God. In verse 4, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You could even use the words happy here. Blessed are those who mourn. You could, you know, you could, you could see why some people would shake their heads and go, what? I, I, I don't, you know, I don't get this. We say, you know, in America especially, we say, don't mourn, put closure on that. But the Lord says, 
Mourn so you can have what? So you can be comforted. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Cry out to God and you will be comforted. If we don't go to God for comfort, then we either end up bottling it up or we get comforted by the wrong things. And oftentimes that's what happens. We either bottle it up till we explode or we start searching things out that aren't of God. Verse 5, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And we talked about how meek means under control. Blessed are those who are, who are under control that don't have their own agenda, our own plan. In other words, we're, we're hands off when we allow God that control in our life. Jesus was the perfect example of this. All the power of God controlled here while on earth. Well, as we began to look at these teachings, we start to see that these are the opposite of the world. These are the exact opposite of what the world is calling us to do and calling us to be. And, and the world will start to view us a little different when they start to see things that are different in our lives. What's interesting is the older you get, the easier it is to, to not be like the world. But the younger you are, <laughs> it seems like it's very difficult. You know, my, my, uh, my next-door neighbor is a junior high principal, and he deals with discipline of students. He said the hardest part is that most of the time when a kid does something wrong, all he's trying to do is to impress his friends. So to go to a junior high or to tell him, follow Jesus, and he will make you weird according to the world, that can be a pretty tough sell. Follow Jesus and people will reject you. Yay! Follow Jesus and you will be treated differently. Follow Jesus and have better standards than your friends. It is going to be great, isn't it? You know, Jesus comes and says, look to me for an acceptance and love, not the world. So I want to tell you, young people, you need to stand firm because you can get through this with Jesus. Don't get into things you shouldn't. Life will be so much easier. Life is tougher when you act like the world. You know, getting pregnant or getting someone pregnant starts out with trying to be like the world, trying to be like everybody else. Don't go down that road. Jesus is talking about a foreign kingdom here. Uh, you know, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, he's given us a clue here. It is a foreign kingdom. We are ambassadors for a foreign kingdom. God is different in his nature than the world is. Well, let's do some, some new verses today. Verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What are the words that should be emphasized here? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness is a condition that, that is acceptable to God. The only condition that is acceptable. It's an integrity of spirit. It is virtue. It is the correctness of, of thinking and feeling. There are people who try to act righteous who are not. And it's all on the outside and never on the inside. So they become self-righteous. Have you ever been around a person that's pretty self-righteous? It can be pretty annoying. Because they're right most of the time. But their attitude makes you want to just pop them one. Just go, you know, just knock them upside the head. And you're in good company. This is what Jesus wanted to do. Who were the righteous during that time? The Pharisees, the Levites, the teachers of the law. They had it all figured out. But the righteousness 
was external. This is who Paul was going up against in Galatians, as we'll get back there next week. Jesus says, I'm going to bless those who hunger and thirst for internal righteousness. If you crave righteousness, that is a beautiful thing. Not everybody's hunger and thirst is for this. Really, even in the church. You know, accepting Jesus is enough for some, which is really sad. When there's so much more out there. There's so much more to Christ than, than just the saving grace. Now, that is the basis of it all. But, but he wants to change us. You know, there are those that compromise as much as they can and still you know, try to stay in the club. Our motivation shouldn't be, I'm afraid of going to hell, so therefore I accept this. So what is the, the least I can do to stay out of hell? Our motivation ought to be our righteousness. Fear cannot be a motivator. With, excuse me, with a child, fear is the only you know, short-term motivator. I have to be careful with my kids because when they're acting up, I, uh, you know, and I've had it you know, up to here with them, I'm just like, ah, you know. I have to be careful how stern my voice is. I have to be stern enough that they'll listen, but not too stern that fear overtakes them. You know, a couple of times when my voice is, comes across too stern, you can see uh, my, my children's face, and they don't like it. If a parent just motivates by fear, it leads to destruction, destruction of relationship, destruction of, uh, of growing up. I mean, they'll, they'll always have this kind of flinching idea when it comes to anytime somebody comes to them, it almost seems like an attack. You're setting them up for destruction. You're setting them up for failure. Jesus doesn't want us to be in fear. He wants us to crave holiness, to crave righteousness. Bless those who don't just sing about holiness, but want holiness. Those who, who crave a pure lifestyle. Those who crave right thinking. Those who, who I'm going to bless, Jesus says. If they hunger and thirst for righteousness, I will fill them with it. We have to come, uh, we have to come and pray for, for the appetite for righteousness. We've got to say, God, I want more righteousness. Give me that, that desire for that. That we want to be in fellowship with him. Verse 7 says, Blessed the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, if you've been paying attention, you can see how these things build on each other. Uh, you know, look at the, the first one poor in spirit causes me to mourn, which causes comfort from God. Therefore, I become meek. Therefore, I hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then I start to give out mercy. You know, it takes until the fifth beatitude before I have some outward expression, some outward action toward others. The first four are about me. The fifth are about my actions toward others. And this is so important, especially with what, everything that's going on right now. Our actions toward others are so important. This is the way Christianity really is. The more we introduce others to Christ... He will deal with their behaviors. It's not our place to go around and point out everybody's fault. Oh, you did this. You did that. No, 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 no. You know, don't you hate it when you get a, a kid that's a tattletale? We get close enough to the Lord, we begin to be poor in spirit, and we mourn our condition, and it causes us to become meek, which makes us, you know, want more, and then we begin to give out mercy to others. 
You see, once I get a handle on how much God, you know, how much mercy God gives me to survive, God gives us so many mercies. The Bible says his mercies are new when? Every morning. So apparently I need mercies every day. How much mercies, you know, how much mercy do you need? A little bit or a lot? When you see that, you start to give it to others. You know, there are two different types of mercy. I mean, there are more, but I'm going to focus on these two. The first one is when you forgive someone who hurts you. That's a hard one to do. But second is when you help someone who is suffering. I don't know which one's harder. It kind of depends on your personality. It depends on you. But Jesus told stories about, you know, both kinds. The first one is in Luke, I think, uh, 1030. Someone asked Jesus... You said, help your neighbor. Well, well, golly, well, who is my neighbor? I mean, there's lots of people around. And he tells a story about a man on Jericho, uh, Jericho Road. And, and, and you know, it, it's, don't picture a road. It's more of a path with cliffs all around, a very easy place to kind of trap you. And that's what would, would happen is, is robbers would trap you there. And verse 30 says, in reply, Jesus said, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came, where the man, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. The good Samaritan, we call it, which is really an oxymoron for the day because, you know, today Jesus uh, would, would use the word Palestinian, a good Palestinian. That'd be very hard to swallow for the religious Jewish person. Verse 34, it says, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and, and wine. And, and then he put the man on his own donkey took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave it to the innkeeper and said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. You see all the elements of mercy here. You see somebody who has, has this compassion, which comes from his heart. You, you know, you, you go to a person and you take care of their urgent needs. Puts them in his own car, basically, changes his schedule, takes them to an inn, stays there all night with them, taking care of them, leaves his credit card number to pay for all the bills. Verse 36, uh, 36 it says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert of the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do Likewise, one of the ways you will know if you've received God's mercy is that if you become more merciful, become less like the Levite, less like the priest, and become more like the Samaritan. Let me ask you a question. Have you become more merciful while following Jesus? I mean, each year, as time goes by, do you or have you become more merciful? If your answer is, I'm not sure, then ask God to show you His mercy.
so that you may start to see the world as he does. That you will start to see how much mercy he's given you, so therefore you'll turn around and give it to others. To be merciful is an inconvenience to yourself. Now, the second kind of mercy is to show mercy on someone who has offended you. This one might be harder for you. In Matthew 18, uh, starting in, uh, I think, around verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. And he's probably thinking, yeah, seven times. That sounds pretty good. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Wow. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is is like a king who wanted to set all accounts with a servant. As he began a settlement, the man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, that they be sold to repay the debt. The servant obviously fell on his knees before him, and he said, Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to to choke him and say, Pay me what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servants fell to their knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back everything. In verse 30 it says, But he refused. Instead he went off and had the man thrown in the prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have, mer- have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him away or turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back what he owed. This is how the heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Wow, I mean, this is intense. What the Lord is saying there is if you can't forgive your brother of an offense, you need to go back and make sure you fully receive God's mercy, mercy for your offenses. You know, this is one of the most, I think, critical things for the church is to learn how to forgive a brother or a sister, especially within the church, much less outside the church. Actually, both are pretty important But too many times I see somebody get upset with somebody else and they don't let it go. And it just, it hurts the heart, the heart of God. Not, you know, much less hurting the kingdom of God when everybody else sees it. But instead we're just like, forget you, I'm going to go find another church. I'm not going to sit in the same church as you. No way. And, And God's sitting there shaking his head going, but I've given you so much mercy and you won't even give them a little. You know, the, the natural consequences of receiving God's forgiveness would be to give forgiveness to others. But unfortunately, this doesn't happen overnight. Usually it's a process. When the Lord, you know, uh, peels us like an onion one layer at a time until he, he reaches that root of bitterness, something that festers in our soul, and the Lord says, I'm going to help you forgive them. But Lord, they don't deserve to be forgiven. (laughs) Well, you're right. He's like, yes, Alan, they don't. But neither do you. 
My mercy for you is new every morning. And, you know, and, and some of it is for you and some of it is for you to give to someone else. Therefore, you have to forgive. It is so tough to forgive. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean you stay in a situation. Forgiveness doesn't mean you allow them to roll over you again and again and again. Okay, you, you can forgive but still get out of the situation. So don't get me wrong here. You, you know, you might have to start out by thinking, okay, God, if you want me to forgive them, then go ahead. You forgive them. God will, and God will accept that for a while, but then he'll bring it up again with you. And eventually you'll have to make a choice. Either that you would give mercy away to others or not. It can be so difficult when you have to forgive, say, like an ex. When you have to forgive someone who has, has made your life miserable. Bad enough when it, when it comes from you know, an accident. But what if they do something on purpose? Now, just because you forgive them doesn't mean you have to hang out with them. Does that make any sense? No. But in forgiving someone else, you discover something. It doesn't come easy or cheaply. Neither did God's forgiveness of you. It was nailed to the cross. Just because grace is free doesn't make it cheap. And when you truly forgive someone else, you begin to enter the kingdom of God because you start to understand exactly the price that was paid for you. Now, that forgiveness may take time. It's not an instant thing, like I said. It may come years later, but you've but you got to start somewhere. Jesus is the ultimate example of mercy. He died on the cross, and while he was being crucified, he said what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, the first martyr in the Bible after Christ was Stephen. They're stoning him for, for being righteous, really. And, and Lord, he says, don't charge this to their account. Now, why would he even say that? He's imitating Jesus. We are going to learn to forgive. Let me ask you a very important, honest question. How many of you are struggling to forgive someone and you need God's help? Now, I would ask you to raise your hand at this point, and some of you brave souls would raise your hand. And I'm not going to do that because you're at home and, and so forth. But I'm going to be praying for you this week. God brought you here today to listen to this sermon, not to demand that you forgive, but encourage you to forgive and to teach you how, you know, how he is going to forgive that person through you so you can release it. You know, it's wrecking your life to hang on to bitterness. It is like hanging on to a cactus, uh, you know, you are, you're trying to throw at somebody else. You know, you, you hang on to it, but you're getting hurt yourself. All right, one more quickly and we'll, we'll be done for today. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The word pure is the word karthosos. It's, a, it's an awesome word, clean, not stained. You know what it's like to get a stain on your favorite shirt and it won't come out? Now, for guys, we just wear it anyway. But for women, I mean, that, it's over. They cannot wear it. Pure means not stained. It means purified by fire, not mixed. 
sincere, genuine, blameless, innocent. Blessed are the pure in heart. Your soul, your will, your passion. Blessed are those with with pure motivation, with pure will, with, with pure hearts who are clean. Take gossip, for example. You may talk facts, but what's the motivation behind it? Have you seen so-and-so? I mean, they've gained like 20 pounds. I mean, during this COVID stuff, they just let themselves go. What's your uh, motivation here? Is it a fact? Yeah. But what are you trying to do? You're trying to put them down. So the heart is not pure or you wouldn't have said it. See, our natural tendency is to not have a, a pure heart. This is why Jesus says he came into our heart. This is where the root of darkness is. Once a heart is cleaned out, our actions usually follow. A pure heart is a simple heart. A pure heart is an uncomplicated heart, an uncomplicated life, and uncomplicated relationships. See, this is what Paul's been talking about and dealing with when it comes to the Galatians and and what's happened there and so forth. It's all about the motivation behind all these people coming in Behind Paul, as soon as Paul leaves and starts saying, well, you need to do this, you need to do that. Here's a list of all your do's and all your don'ts that you have to do. And it's a motivation that is not pure. And that's what Paul is coming up against. He's pointing out, you're allowing these guys, you're allowing them to to, to push you in a direction that is not pure, not of God. And you you need to stop that. You need to look to God only as your motivation. And that's what Jesus teaches us, and that's what Paul continues to teach us. That's what every disciple, every apostle kept teaching. It's about Jesus and Jesus' ways so that we can become more like Jesus. Well, let's pray. Lord, There's so many of us out there that have been hurt in one way or the other. I pray that you teach us about our own mercies, our own forgiveness that you've forgiven us for all the times that we've gone against you, for all the times that we've sinned against you, for all the times that we've completely just ignored you, and all the mercy you've given us, that we start to understand that and and that we can come back to you just as we can forgive others, Lord, that we would take your example of forgiving us and giving us mercy and giving us that grace, that we can turn around and give that to those that have hurt us. Lord, I I know that there are people that are dealing with painful situations that you could be in the midst of. And I pray that you will be in the midst of them, that they would invite you into it. Not that they won't hurt for a while, Not that they won't walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, but that you will be with them and that you will encourage us to be with them as as they go through that valley. But the hope is there's an end to the valley. There's the other side. And that hope is Jesus Christ. That hope is you, Lord, as we rely on you. Now, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he show you his mercies every morning to you that you can show mercy to others. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. You guys have a wonderful week.